Are you wanting to be resilient, but not sure if you have the capacity to do more? Are you hoping to find a little change that can make your days just that bit easier? Are you excited that Team Up is starting again? Yeah, me too. Welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia. I'm Sarah, a medical anthropologist and team member in the Innovation Support Unit in the Department of Family Practice at the University of British Columbia. And I'm Morgan, a family doctor and also a team member in the Innovation Support Unit. Okay, so Sarah, this is our first official episode of Team Up Season 2. This season, we're talking about resilience, but talking about it with a systems perspective, and so not just personal resilience. Let's set that up again so people understand. You've been leading this work, so take us through what system resilience is about. So we started a learning cycle really focused on the idea of provider resilience. And like we talked about in episode zero, we realized really quickly that people don't want to be told that they need to do more to be resilient. People don't want to think about it as an individual personality trait, and neither do we. We really want to think about system resilience. And we heard this in one of the webinars this fall from uh, from Team Up. Both John and Graham highlighted the fact that we want to take this systems perspective or consider this as a systems problem. And we need to know how to lead from a systems perspective. We need to know how to encourage and support innovation. We need to know how systems thinking influences how change should take place. And now speaking for a moment from a physician point of view, we need to build resilience in the system and it's a systems problem. That was Johnny Van Aird and Graham Dickinson, both part of the Canadian Society of Physician Leaders and part of the team that presented from the Leeds Collaborative in the fall. And we learned about the Leeds Leadership Capabilities Framework. And we heard about the importance of compassionate leadership, communicating effectively and developing coalitions. And these are all ways to build systems resilience, particularly in the context of COVID-19, which is what they were really focusing on. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I love systems thinking and I appreciate Graham's enthusiasm and I totally share it. But I also share my colleagues' capacity limits, especially right now as we're entering 2022. And Morgan, you know, the beginning of our learning cycle really crystallized this for me because I realized that I don't feel comfortable going to you as a provider and saying, you know, okay, we know it's been really challenging. We know things have been really tough. So please do more now so that you don't burn out. It's just counterintuitive. Yeah. And thank you for not trying to make me do more. I mean, we've heard the same thing the same feeling from members of our BC team-based care advisory group when we did our workshop just in December. And before that, we also heard it when we went out to talk to providers. Don't expect us to do more. You know, rather than asking providers to just knuckle down and do yoga, we have to change the systems around us to really help us sustain primary care. And those changes can be small at the team level and large at the policy level. Yes, that way it's not on me, at least entirely. We need to think about changing the systems to support providers, and that in turn will then sustain the primary care system. And that way, if we can all work together, I think it's the way we get through this. Yeah. You know, we really need to think about supporting change at multiple levels. And Natasha Protembella flagged this for us as well. She's a nurse practitioner and the new VP at the PHSA. And she sees benefit in thinking, you know, really broadly at multiple levels. I think we're talking a lot about burnout and resilience needed in the provider group. And we don't often think about all the other non-providers in the system and then the system itself. Yeah, perfect. It's multi-level, that whole system change to improve resilience. No problem. I get it. 
And it's about not making it harder for people in primary care in the minute, right? Right. So with the primary care system being as complex as it is, there are so many factors that influence resilience. And since this is team up, what better place to start than thinking about teams, teamwork and ideas that can support increasing adaptive capacity, which is really another way to think about this weird idea of resilience. Yeah, I like that idea of adaptive capacity. And we're going to try to cover three things today that hopefully aren't seen as more work, though it's so hard to think about how to do things differently without at least a little bit of effort. And so first we're going to talk about just how teams in general can be a protective factor against burnout. And then we're going to talk about if you do more of what you like, you actually become more resilient. And then lastly, if you don't have a big team, just talking about how to reach out to peers and other supports so you're feeling more connected. So the first idea that we really want to focus on is this idea that working in a team can be a protective factor against burnout. We know that teams can generate more clinical capacity, but we also know the pandemic has demonstrated the importance of relationships as a protective factor in times of change. Teams can reduce isolation and reduce the burden of added pressures by creating kind of supportive environments where it's safe to share challenges and successes. So Anne Nguyen is the new physician lead for the Physician Health Program for Doctors of BC. And she's a colleague of mine that I've worked with for many years at Kool-Aid at the Community Health Center. She's had some good reflections on the power of team, both from here and in her work in Ontario. I mean, team-based care is one of, I think, the ingredients to a thriving primary care system. The team-based model means you can take time off and you can take care of your family and you know someone's going to take care of your patients. And we're hearing a lot right now about how primary care providers are burning out. You know, the idea of retiring early or newer providers who are leaving their professions looking for more work-life balance. So really this idea of sustainability here is particularly important. Yeah, and Sarah, I mean, we've heard this not just with primary care providers, but other providers who are working in primary care. Working on the team aspect of primary care is a way to develop that internal team support and that peer support locally. For those of you who were at our first webinar last year, Jeanette Boyd, a family physician, really talked about this and how the strength of the team and the relationships across the team built her resilience. They also know how critical it is to be working deep within a team um, in order to provide the best high-quality comprehensive care possible. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of that relationship, the protective time to build that relationship and that knowledge. And where we really see that comes to the fore is when those times of crisis or those times of transition. And Jeanette was really able to provide us with a number of examples from her practice that demonstrate the importance of team when we think about provider capacity and, and system capacity more broadly and what's needed to kind of take the sustainable lens to the system level. I know that there are members of my team that do amazing, amazing work with that harm reduction strategy. And I know there's others on my team who work really well with those families who are dealing with depression and anxiety. And I know that I can talk to them or perhaps direct my patients to them because I know that that particular team member has that level of expertise that maybe I don't. Our team has this philosophy of care that we're working together as a collective. And so we know that we can step out if we need to and others will fill that gap. And when you feel supported in that way, when as a provider you realize that you have a team that you can turn to and work with, it really takes so much of the pressure off an individual. It also helps your patients because they have broader access to a more diverse set of expertise and different relationships that they can draw on if they need to. Having said all that, creating a new team or expanding a team is a lot of work. So we also want to think about what we can do within our current team. And that brings us to the second idea. And our second idea is 
how do you work with your existing team, big or small, and make some small changes so that you're enjoying your work and not wasting effort? Natasha described it pretty well. There's a lot of examples in terms of decreasing workload across by doing obvious things like ensuring that everybody's working to optimize scope and function, um, that people aren't double doing things. And Natasha's been thinking a lot about the importance of teams. If you can find ways of reducing duplication and effort, it's a quick way to make more capacity. I totally agree. And so, Sarah, here's a little activity that I think can help identify that duplication in your small team or your large team. So it's a one-day thing. On a day, give everyone a pair of paper flags. If you want, you can color code them or you can put people's names on them, whatever you want, so that they're unique. And each person's job that day is to take a second and notice where there's a duplication between two people. Write it down and tag the first flag to the first person and the second flag to the second person. And then at the end of the day, go through as a team really quickly and have everybody describe the duplication that they observed that day. And then you pick one. Right, but you pick the easiest one that people think is worth doing. Oh, you know I love post-it notes, so this sounds wonderful to me. And this is also then optimizing scope of practice, which is another part of creating capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Often, though, people get daunted by that because it's a thought of a bigger shift, right? So how do I optimize? And optimize is one of those words that's like, you have to make all these changes to make it perfect. So the simpler approach is maybe just asking people what parts of work they like to do and then finding ways to adapt in the team so that each of us can do a little bit more of what we know is in our scope and that we like to do. You know, Morgan, we've been working on this in the ISU forever. And it's a bit of a long-term project. Yeah, it is. Finding it out and, and figuring out where you're comfortable. If you're If you're in a group practice, You can just start small, right? Chat with people who share the same job as you have. MOAs with MOAs, primary care providers together, nurses together. And just see if there are a few things that you all do that you might shift around a little bit more. And it doesn't have to be major, but it could be something just to start. And I guess it's something that has some quick benefits, right? Like people will feel heard. Everyone's going to be doing something that they like. And then it probably means that they'll be doing a better job if they're getting to focus on what they enjoy doing. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the idea. So if I'm sold on this, how would I then do it in my practice? Sure. So how I imagine this could work is getting people together and then talking about, let's take office staff for a second here and figuring out how to balance the different kinds of work across the MOA staff. Have them talk together about the different types of work they're doing. It could be referral management, billing, front desk time, scheduling follow-ups, whatever that list is. And then just think about it, have them work together on on how they want to divide that up and change it up a little bit. Maybe one person says, you know what, I I love doing the follow-ups and calling patients, and I like to do that more than scheduling. Great shift that so that one person is doing a bit more of what they like and hopefully you have somebody else in the team that says the opposite. For primary care providers, it may be little shifts around a bit more focused practice. So maybe one person likes to do the more urgent care, walk-in style visits, doing some outreach. And maybe it's about internal referrals for areas of interest like joint injections, other office procedures, chronic pain management, that sort of stuff. It just changes and, and, and keeps it more interesting for people. So those kind of collaborative changes that you work on together, those are not addressing kind of optimizing scope of practice necessarily, but really thinking about who's doing what. Yeah, what what I'm suggesting is is not changing overall, at least to start with, but just, you know, shifting between people with similar roles and then optimizing between roles is definitely the next step. 
And I think what we've really seen is when teams do this, when they talk about how they're going to work together as a team, they connect better as a team. And that really creates that safe space in a team with you know psychological safety and all of these things that we know are so important to really allow teams to become that protective factor. Yeah. And we, we've been doing this since before the pandemic with our team mapping, which is a bit more of a formal process to get everybody to talk about how they want to work together. And if you have the capacity, go for that. And there's coaches all over that can can run a team mapping session with you. But it could be just as simple as just chatting it out like I just did there. And I mean, the idea that the changes don't have to be big, they just have to be tangible, right? Yeah, you just have to feel that. And that that feeling will help build that resilience. And one other group of team members that I think are important to highlight are patients and families. Um, sharing care and working with patients and their families can really help with this too. I have two patients that I just saw, I had a group Zoom with them and they are partners who are both struggling with obesity. It was really good because we got to talk about, they got a new dog and one of them walks a the dog, but the other one doesn't. And, you know, why is that? I was able to do two visits really in one, but it was also um, good because I could encourage both of them in terms of exercise and goal setting to really work together on that. So I think that, yes, I think there's a huge advantage. I love this example from Natasha, and not just because I'm a dog person, but because it's patients in the team and involving the partner and involving the dog into the team that really helps and, and has this internal feedback loop that then creates a bit of capacity for the nurse practitioner who maybe doesn't have to check in quite as much. So you get better care and a bit of capacity at the same time. It's great. Right. So what if you don't have a team? A lot of primary care providers in BC aren't working in community health centers or other settings like that. So that's our third idea, which is how to reach out to your broader network of colleagues and peers for support. So whatever your team size, I think you can do some of the things we talked about earlier. But you're right. It's harder for smaller teams and solo practitioners. And it's way easier to start isolating yourself and not getting the benefits of sharing with colleagues. I think what the pandemic really brought into focus is that slippery slope of isolation triggered by, you know, physical and social distancing, working remotely or on different schedules. It really made the flow of workdays shift. And when you don't have those opportunities for casual connections, everything has to become more intentional. And this can make it a lot harder for people to reach out for support. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, not all is lost if you're not part of the team. And that's where reaching out to peers becomes really important. I think getting that social support from peers informal but intentionally certainly helps with that, minimizing that isolation feeling. It can be colleagues that you don't work with anymore or that you've worked with through the hospital, just connecting out to those people that you know and intentionally having that connective conversation, not necessarily a venting conversation, but just connecting. And then beyond that, there are several formal supports that people can reach out to as well. And I just heard about how the Physician's Health Program is expanding their services, including thinking about you know new models for, for peer support and training that are all more accessible. And other professions as well have different programs. BC Nursing has just provided free virtual health services to all nurses that includes some mental health support if you need that. And health authorities, of course, have a, a range of different kinds of supports for their staff. And for rural providers, we want to highlight a group of really cool clinical support programs that are all part of the real-time virtual supports program. And we just heard about this in the December Team Up webinar, if you want to learn more. And this was really cool because it was, it was mostly about the clinical service that they were offering. But what came out in the stories was about the peer support and the collegial support that people were able to get by connecting out. Not only was it reducing stress and providing better care, but it was that connection that they didn't have before that they were able to achieve virtually. 
So that, that wraps up our three ideas for this episode of Team Up. There's some great resources, and we invite you not necessarily to do more, although we probably will, but you know, think about how you can create a little bit more breathing room in your days. Yeah, find the things that feel easy and have that little sense of tangibility to make things a bit better. We have several other ideas that we wanted to fit into this episode too. And we haven't lost those ideas. We just didn't want to overload. So we're going to add them in as team bits in the future. And finally, as always, reach out. We want to be interactive and we will adapt both here in the podcast and in our team up webinar based on your questions and feedback. Thanks for listening. So we're not asking you to knuckle down and take up painting. Or meditate. Or take time to yourself out in nature. Or sitting by the fire with a glass of wine. Ooh, or learning how to make wine. Or do the gross grind. Or do an adult coloring book. Or planning your next polar bear swim. Or look after your sourdough starter. Or learn how to tap dance. Or write some songs. Or take up fencing. Or going for long walks Updating your CPR. Working hard on your artisanal chocolate recipes. Or taking that advanced Developing parenting course. Developing new skills in building your own practice Or work on writing the novel. Holding your breath. Learning how to paint. Or finally training your dog. Or meditating. Or meditating. Or meditating. Although we might ask that. Yeah.